I'm going to sow just a little bit of word in you this morning, because here in just a few moments, uh, we're going to be able to enjoy a meal together. So here's the good news. The good news is that normally I'm long winded, but I understand exactly how much time I have left. But the good news on that is I'm the one serving you lunch. So we don't have to beat the Baptist to the buffet, do we? I mean, well, or the Presbyterians or the Methodists or the Catholics or whoever. So come on, we need to get a little word in our system, though, don't we? It's a little different this morning, but it's all been good. And and uh, it's it's been an encouragement to me. We're going to we're going to start a new series. And, and it, it's just enough time for me to do a little introductory uh, work before we probably jump into it in a in a far more deeper way next week, but as you see the slide overhead, we're going to talk about the Gideon generation. And uh, if you have your Bibles, you might want to go ahead and find Judges chapter 6. I'm going to be reading just a couple verses from Judges chapter 6 on Gideon. I suspect many of you recognize the name of Gideon. It's a familiar story. And uh, I've just been uh, quickened by God just to share a little bit about him. I want us to just explore and see how God chooses and uses a nation shaker. How many of you know Gideon ended up being a nation changer? And I believe that he's an example or he's a prototype. You know what a prototype is? It's like a car maker who who uh, uh, designs a car and, and makes a car that's never been made before and then takes it out, shows everybody, and that becomes the standard by which everyone else uh, makes cars. It's a prototype. It's a first fruit. Something maybe we've never seen before, but it's being uh, created and forged and formed. And I believe Gideon, in some respects, is that to us in the era that you and I live in because I believe God wants to raise up a generation of people that He can use to turn this culture and this nation around and back to honoring Him. Sometimes it's easy to ask, can one person make a difference? Can one church make a difference? Uh, can even one nation make a difference in, in, in the scope of an entire world? And the answer to that, gratefully, is a resounding yes. One quality person. Everyone say quality. Come on, say it again. Say Quality. One quality person can change a nation. You know, you and I live in a day where we venerate and we celebrate quantity. Who gets to the goal the fastest? Who builds the largest? Who has the biggest? I mean, as I began to think about Gideon, and many of you know the story of Gideon and how he... he, raised his army, and we will get to that story in the next few weeks. But those of you that know the story about how Gideon started with 32,000 people and then it's whittled down to 300, how many of you know he wouldn't have made the conference circuit talking about how to get the biggest army? I mean, it's interesting to me just in the era that we're living in, how we venerate, we we venerate who makes the most, we venerate who has the most, we venerate who's on the top 400 list with the most in the bank. We Everything's the biggest, the largest, the glitziest, and then all of a sudden we're faced in a challenging time period and people are getting laid off 
People are going into foreclosure. Even ministries. I was reading a notable ministry here recently. I believe it was this week. It hit the news that a notable ministry that uh, we would all know and recognize if I were to name it is going into foreclosure or bankruptcy, I guess I should say, a bankruptcy of, of some form or fashion. And, and, and all of a sudden we're asking ourselves, what should we do? How will we go on? How will we raise money? I mean, I'm just I just chuckle. Well, let's have a casino night. I mean, does, does something just kind of trip in you and, and go, whoa, 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 wait a minute, wait a minute, wait a minute. A casino night in order for the kingdom to go forward. How about a hot dog? Let's just sell hot dogs. So, you know, and I've watched this in churches for years. We aren't smart enough even to get a hot dog stand together and make money at it. It's just interesting because, because God's ways are not our ways and Gideon to me, is one of those stories that begins to show us that God will prune us for victory. He he will reduce us for victory. You see, God is never dependent on the majority. He doesn't need a crowd to get His will done. In fact, Gideon will show us, if anything, that God prefers quality. I believe that God can do more through a dedicated, consecrated few than He can through just just this gigantic mass of people. In fact, I believe Gideon, the story of Gideon, you could make a case that God might really prefer quality rather than quantity. It's interesting. uh, One of the commercials on television, if you have uh, uh, a Ford, you'll be glad to know this because it says on their commercials, you'll know this. What does it say about Ford? Quality is what? Job one. See, we've all heard that. I hope that's true if you have a Ford. Because what that commercial's telling us, it's telling us it's not how many cars they spit out, it's how good the car is you're driving around. I've often thought about this. I thought if you were buying a house, do you want your house fast or right? I mean, I mean, I mean, there's no award for a contractor who builds the fastest house. I mean, I mean, we want it right. We want it quality. We want it. We want it done right that it will last. I thought about when I was sick. Do I want a thousand mediocre physicians standing around me? Or would I like just one good, competent expert looking into my case? One quality doctor. You see, I believe we've misplaced the emphasis. I believe that our misplaced emphasis in the era that we are living in has yielded maybe some impressive short-term results, but I think we're beginning to see some long-term disasters. Because as we rush to have the biggest, largest, glitziest, most, as we look to embrace these and venerate these things, what we're finding out is, is that once we get there, we don't have the stuff that's needed in order to stay there. So God is working on us as a people, whether it be in his church or whether it be in a marketplace. God is working on us as people to do something of quality inside of us. It's interesting. Jesus, in his Sermon on the Mount, ends that that discourse in those chapters with three parables. And in these parables, interestingly enough, he talks about two roads, two trees and two houses. And I started to think about those last three stories that he just sort of lines up there at the end. And I thought to myself that as he begins to teach these parables of these roads, 
and these trees and these houses, what he ostensibly is saying in all of those parables is this. You need to be sure you are not misled by appearances. Things can look the same, but that doesn't mean they necessarily are. Things can look similar, but be distinctly different. Remember what he said? You got two houses, they're being built, everything looks ostensibly the same, but you got to look a little closer. One's on sand and one's on a rock. Close, but not exactly the same. We've got to remember that as well. That God isn't about how we look. He isn't about appearances. He's about working something much deeper and important by way of quality inside of us. And Gideon is going to teach us that. So I'm going to move through this fast. Are you ready to listen fast? Can you say amen? Come on, I'm, I'm putting my hearing on quick. Pastor's going to talk fast. Judges chapter 6. Let's read about Gideon here. It says, The children of Israel did evil in the sight of the Lord, so the Lord delivered them into the hand of Midian for seven years. And the hand of Midian prevailed against Israel because of the Midianites. The children of Israel made for themselves the dens, the caves, the strongholds which are in the mountains. So it was whenever Israel had sown, Midianites would come up, also Amalekites, and the people of the east would come up against them. And they would encamp against them and destroy the produce of the earth as far as Gaza and leave no sustenance for Israel, neither sheep nor ox nor donkey, where they would come up with their livestock and their tents, coming in as numerous as locusts. Both they, their camels, were without number, and they would enter the land to destroy it. So Israel was greatly impoverished. Why don't you underline that and put out in the in the column in your Bible, put in there, Israel was in a recession. Israel was greatly impoverished because of the Midianites and the children of Israel cried out to the Lord. This is, this is, I'm just talking off the top of my head here for just a minute. How deep does a recession have to go before a nation cries out? Apparently a little deeper. Jump over to verse 11. It says, Now the angel of the Lord came and sat under the terebinth tree, which was in Ophrah. No relation to the one on TV. Which belonged to Joash, the Abazarite, and his son Gideon threshed wheat in the winepress in order to hide it from the Midianites. It says, The angel of the Lord appeared to him and said to him, The Lord is with you, you mighty man of valor. Gideon said to him, O oh my Lord, if the Lord is with us... I love this verse because... <laughs> How many times has all of us said this? Oh, God, if you're with me, then why? Oh, my Lord, if the Lord is with us, then why has all this happened to us? And where are all his miracles, which our fathers told us about, saying, did not the Lord bring us up from Egypt? But now the Lord has forsaken us, delivered us in the hands of the Midianites. Verse 14, then the Lord turned to him and said, Go in this might of yours and you shall save Israel from the hand of the Midianites. Have I not sent you? This is a fairly incredible passage when you just sort of dwell on it for a moment. Verse 15. So Gideon said to him, Oh, my Lord, how can I save Israel? Indeed, my clan is the weakest in Manasseh. I'm the least in my father's house. And the Lord said to him, Surely I'll be with you and you shall defeat the Midianites. Isn't that cool? As one man. Can one man make a difference? Can one church make a difference? 
globally, could one nation make a difference? I'm just asking these things because the Scripture is going to tell us right here that you and I can make a difference. It's interesting, we meet Gideon in the midst of this national crisis. It's interesting when there's a national crisis and it gets bad enough, it becomes everyone's personal crisis. You understand that nobody would give a rip about what was going on in the markets of America right now if it weren't for the fact that they lost their own personal 401k. You understand that nobody cares about unemployment numbers until they lose their own job. Nobody would even pay attention to who's running for this or who's running for that when they can't get their own unemployment benefits. So it's amazing to me that you can have a national crisis, but the national crisis is never very important to any of us until it becomes our own personal crisis. And here we find Gideon in the midst of a national crisis that became everyone's personal crisis. It says that the Midianites, along with apparently this uh, coalition of the Amalekites, uh, gather up together and they begin to oppress Israel. And I already mentioned to you in verse 6 that it's causing this this depression, this recession in the economy. Now, before I get ahead of myself, and in order for you to understand in the weeks ahead what's going on, I need to just just dig a little bit in the history here and, and sort of lay some foundational remarks, all right? Some dynamics behind the scenes. The book of Judges lasted for about 300 years. I want you to get this in your mind because the book of Judges represents a time period that's longer than the length of time America has been in existence. 300 years of time in the book of Judges. And during this time period, we find uh, Israel at times in peace and at times they are under incredible chaotic situations. As you may recall that that there was a time that the Israelites were brought out of Egypt, out of the land of, of bondage. Uh, they were brought through the desert. They had to whittle out a generation because they had a wrong mentality. A new generation had arisen. Joshua takes over the leadership from Moses. And through Joshua, the people were taken into the land and they began to conquer the land that was promised to them as theirs from the Lord. And so they're going through the land. They're conquering the land. They're securing uh, this, this property of Canaan, as it will eventually be called. But the problem is, as they were about halfway through their, their, their war effort, about halfway through their, their uh, conquering, uh, possessing efforts, they get tired. They get weary. In fact, in Joshua, about chapter 18, Joshua stands up in front of the people and he basically has to give them a rah-rah speech to tell them it's time to get up and keep possessing the land. But the people don't want to fight anymore. They got to the place where they just wanted it to be over. And so what happened was they began to cut treaties and negotiate settlements with the enemies that were in the land. Now, that's good for the moment, but that usually comes back to bite you. And that's exactly what happened. And it's happened to the Israelites now for about 4,000 years. Because they didn't do what they should have done to begin with. To this day, they face issues in the Middle East. And so what we find them here in the book of Judges now is that it left them vulnerable. It left them vulnerable with wars and invaders, as we've read here. The Midianites have, have uh, coalesced with the Amalekites and even some others, the Scripture says, in order now to become a thorn in Israel's side. And so because Israel didn't do 
what it was asked to do. And maybe I just ought to stop there and say this. Whenever you come up short in obedience, you may you may get through it at the moment, but it will always come back to get you. It always comes back to get you. You do halfway obedience and it may feel good for the moment, but it will come back to get you. And so Israel did this. And so what happened was, is it opened them up to all sorts of things. It opened them up to spiritual compromise. It opened them up to the gods of their enemies. It began to infiltrate their culture and their nation. Now, can I just share this with you? To me, as I begin to state these things, it sounds so like America. Because we refuse to be fully obedient and we spiritually compromise, we open ourselves up to other gods. We bring them into our culture. We've got lawsuits right at this very moment that is trying to take in God we trust off our money. They're trying to figure out ways to sand the last vestiges of Christianity out of our monuments in America. Kids can't wear crosses to public schools. You can't pray at public events. I understand we're still in the South and we still hang on to a few of these things, but I'm telling you, it's coming to Charleston too. And whenever I read this, I see so clearly the same footsteps of Israel, America following in. And so what happens in the book of Judges is that Israel begins to go through what scholars will later call as cycles. They go through these cycles. They'd go through these stages. They'd walk through them. It would take them from victory to defeat. Victory to defeat. And there were actually 13 of these cycles within the book of Judges that they would start off and things would be looking good and they'd get themselves right before God and then they'd begin to get tepid and cold and lethargic and apathetic and they'd begin to slide until finally they slid their way into defeat again. 13 times in this one book, Israel goes through these cycles. What we call it today is this. You're going around the mountain. That's what we talk about today. How many times do you go around the mountain before you begin to identify some of those familiar rocks you're seeing again? How many times do you go around the mountain before you begin to see things you've seen before? How many times do you have to do this before you get off that particular merry-go-round. And for Israel, they went through it 13 times. And, and in order to get them off the merry-go-round, God would raise up a judge. He'd raise up this judge. And through the ministry of this judge, uh, Israel oftentimes would begin to, to change and move in a different direction. Now, I want to I share this with you real quick because this is going to help you in the weeks to come. Because I want you to see what this cycle looks like. I thought it's so important. If you don't get the cycle, sometimes you don't understand that you're going around the mountain. So guys, I'm just going to comment on it, but just start posting it up here. The first part of the cycle was, is that they would battle towards victory. They, they would begin to arise and they'd begin to fight their enemies and they'd battle towards victory. Now, that's not just a nation, but that's a person, too. As a person, we arise and begin to battle our, our enemies. We battle our addictions or our bondages or the sins that so easily beset us. We refuse to allow it to defeat us. We determine it's going to be different. And so we arise to the battle. Isn't that good? you you, you got to fight for some things. And so so the... Cycle starts with people doing what's right. They're fighting for some things. But then number two is, is that they fight their way to a place of relief rather than conquest. 
say, well, pastor, what does that mean? It means this, that the minute the heat's off, we quit fighting. The minute we get a little relief, now listen to me very carefully because I don't want to, I'm not being tough or hard. I'm just telling you how it is. The human nature of the thing is that we are so glad that we're out from under the heat, that we're, we're out from under, you know, the, the pressure and the oppression. And we're just in a place of relief. Whew, I'm just at a place of relief and peace. And what happens is we quit doing the things we need to do to press our way to victory. This was Israel's problem all the time. They would fight till they had relief, but they wouldn't fight till they had victory. That's the problem with most people, too. Have you ever noticed that people will be in church until there's relief? And the minute they get relief in their situation, it's amazing how all of a sudden there's other things they do and they can't be as faithful and they can't be where they should be and they can't do what they were doing and other things crowd in and they didn't press their way to victory, they pressed their way to relief. And while relief feels good, it is a deceiver. Because it deceives you into thinking that somehow you pressed your way to the place of victory and that's not necessarily so. You may have the enemy on the run, but that doesn't mean the enemy is conquered. Number three, I call it compromise conquest. So what happens is, is when you begin to sense these things happening again, in, instead of battling, we begin to negotiate with the enemy. I've watched this happen many times. I'll just use an example. For instance, I know people that have certain addictions and certain bondages. Let's just take that, that there's an alcoholism that runs in the family. I've watched this, that they will battle and press through all the way till they get a little relief. And now that they've got a little relief, they begin to step back and they don't keep their same convictions and they don't keep themselves on their toes. And they're going to go hang out with the wrong crowd and they're going to go to the local bar and they're just going to drink a Diet Coke and fellowship. And all of a sudden they begin to compromise with enemies until finally number four, come on guys, post it. Uh, uh, somebody looks at him in the eye and says, hey, 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 stop. You're going the wrong direction. This is not good. This isn't going to keep you where you need to be. I've watched people do, they get out of their credit card debt and they get a little relief. And the first thing they do is they, they get, well, I can do this and I'll just pay for it quickly or I'll do this and pay for it quickly. And they begin to compromise and someone starts looking at them. God's always faithful to give us somebody who'll look us in the eye and say, you better think about what you're doing right now. Because you may have relief at this moment, but that doesn't mean you have the victory. You better listen to God and what he's saying. You better listen to what he's declaring to you because you may be enjoying your relief, but don't be deceived by it. It doesn't mean you pressed your way to victory, number five. So what happens? They return to their sinful ways. Apostasy. They begin to do what's right in their own eyes. And for a while, there's no repercussion because they had battled their way to relief, but because they just lived in their relief and they weren't ever vigilant, then for a while, it seems like you're getting away with it. But what happens is, is that the enemy begins to remobilize. And he begins to strategize for our failure. Number six, what happens? Bondage enters in again. We find ourselves in the same place we were in to begin with. We're, and then this is what's funny. People will look and go, how did I get here? Well, it's really not funny. Except that I'm telling you how you got there. Bondage and oppression comes again. You're under, you're under the thumb of the enemy. And, and, and then hopefully number seven is is that repentance begins to take place out of that oppression and the cycle begins to start over again. Now, Israel did this 13 times in the book of Judges. 
Don't judge them. We do it a lot. We go through these cycles. And, 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 and Israel did not step off their merry-go-round. See, this is not only people, but this is America as well. I mean, we go through these cycles. We, we, we have to hit the bottom of the barrel. And then when we're at the bottom of the barrel, then we wake up. You know what I would love sometime? For us to arise and wake up before we're at the bottom of the barrel. And, and that's been my question. How deep must we go before we awaken as a nation? How deep will you go before you awaken as a person? I want you to awaken before you ever get to the place of having Midianites and Amalekites all around you. This is exactly, though, the place Israel is at. And this is exactly the place that God begins to speak to Gideon. It's interesting about these Midianites. I, I, I never saw this before until I was reading it this time. Midianites, Midianites. Midianites, believe it or not, at one time were servants of the Lord. For those of you that may remember, Moses married a woman who was a Midianite. In fact, her father, his father-in-law Jethro, the scripture tells us, was a Midianite. And Jethro was actually used by God in order to input Moses' life with regards to how to bring government to the people of Israel. When he was hearing every single case, it was Jethro who came up and told him how to divide up the cases and who should hear this case and who should hear that case. And, and, and it was actually Jethro who had great wisdom and insight. And, and God used Midianites. Midianites, though, now had become, what? Compromised believers. Because all of a sudden, the Midianites who had been used of God so greatly in times past were now the ones who had encircled the nation of Israel. And now they had become the oppressors. They had become, in, in what we would call here, the enemy. Now, it's bad enough, I thought, that if you're attacked and you're challenged by the world. Isn't that, I mean, nobody wants to be attacked and challenged by the world. And, and, and if you'd allow me just to use the phrase, heathen, I mean, to have the heathen rail against you is one thing. But now, to all of a sudden have those who supposedly once believed as you believed to be the one that's oppressing you, can you imagine how far this has dwindled to? Now, folks, I'm just going to share with you, latest polling figures tell us that 80% of our nation, 80% of America says they have a belief in God and would consider themselves to be Christian. I'll say that again, 80%. Now, if that's true, then why, like the Midianites and the Amalekites of old, who would worship their false gods by sacrificing their children to Moloch and Baal over the fires and kill their kids? If that's true, then why is it that we here in America still have difficulty with thinking about 1.5 million babies getting aborted every year. How come we'll, this, this is the funniest thing to me, it's not really funny, it's sad, is that we'll put people in jail for destroying an eagle's egg. Oh my. Oh, don't touch our eagle's eggs. Why? It's, it's, what do you mean? It's not an eagle yet, it's just a blob. It's, it's, it's potential eagle. Oh, but you touch a potential eagle, we'll throw you in federal prison. Oh, but we'll clean out wombs. 
I'll get to this one other day. I don't have time to get it today. I've, I've heard the arguments. I just feel like the Lord's telling me to stop here for just a minute. I've listened to people say it's my body. I have a right to do with my body whatever I want. The Bible says that my body is not my own. My body's not my own. I mean, I granted I'm not a woman. I don't have the same features, biology issues. I understand that. I understand that maybe maybe I don't have the ability as a man to have authority to talk to a woman because I don't understand all the dynamics of a woman. But can I just tell you this on the basis of God's word? I can tell every woman this your body's not your own. It's not your any more than mine's my own. All right, I'll leave that alone. But we're turning into Midianite believers. We've got a Midianite nation. So what does God do in all of this? I got to rush and hurry. God raises up what? A quality person. One person. And this one person, Gideon, is going to be the answer to the problem. Now, can I just share this with you? You and I would not have chosen Gideon. Nobody would have picked Gideon. But Gideon represents the generation, I believe, that God's going to pluck out and lead a nation back to himself. So I just want to share this real fast. I'm going to go real fast here. Have mercy. But nobody's hungry. Come on, this is real quick and we'll be done. I promise we'll be done at the hour. I promise. Characteristics of the Gideon generation. Listen, real quick. Number one, it tells us that they lack resource. You're, you're going to feel an ability to identify with Gideon. They lacked resource, number one. It was a recession. They didn't have much. Didn't have much money. Didn't have much disposable income. They lacked resource. That's what the scripture told us here. Number two, it says they lacked courage because Gideon was hiding. The scripture tells us he was hiding in order to make sure the Midianites couldn't find him. I, I wouldn't call that a courageous thing or a courageous act. Number three, it says that they lacked faith. It says, oh, oh Lord, if, if you're with us and where are all the miracles? Where are all the miracles? I mean, if, if you're if you're in charge of everything, where are all the miracles? And can I just share this with you? God doesn't mind an honest doubt. I, I don't think he minds even honest skepticism. As long as it's honest. Because there have been moments I've looked and said, God, you know, where are you? What are you up to? What can't you see? Don't you know people are interceding and praying? And, and this is what your word says. And I believe you can still do according to your word. And, and can I just say this to you? If you've ever been in a place like that, I got good news. God might pick you. Number four, it says they lack confidence. He says, I'm the least of the house that I live in. Why would you even pick me? My, my family's at... You know, they're they're at the bottom of the totem pole and I'm at the bottom of my family's totem pole. It don't get any lower than that. It's kind of like being in South Carolina. You know, our motto is thank God for Mississippi. <laughs> I've lived here now several decades, so now I, I'm officially a South Carolinian. They may never take me into me a Charlestonian, but I am a South Carolinian. Sometimes you don't get any lower than that. You're the 50th in the nation and you're the 50th county in the 50th state of the nation. And that's sometimes, I mean, why would, you, why would you even think about moving or working in here? Lord, you have dialed the wrong number. Now you may say, why would God work with these kind of people? Hang on. 1 Corinthians chapter 1. Oh, guys, post it. I'll just read it up here. 1 Corinthians 1.26. For you see your calling, brethren. That not many wise according to the flesh, not many mighty, not many noble are called. But God has chosen the foolish things of the world. 
Can I just say this? I qualify. He's chosen the foolish things of the world to put to shame the wise. And God has chosen the weak things of the world to put to shame the things which are mighty. And the base things of the world and the things which are despised, God has chosen. And the things which are not to bring to nothing the things that are. That no flesh should glory in His presence. Keep going. But of Him, listen to this, you are. (laughs) That's what Paul's going the long way around is saying, that's you. Trying not to offend them, but saying, you foolish. You ain't much. You ain't all that. God isn't looking. You know, I listen to preachers all the time, and I understand, believe me, I am of the ilk. I believe that God prospers. I believe that God wants to prosper us. Do not misunderstand. But I am tired of the church waiting for their millionaires to show up. God can use us. You say, I don't have a million dollars. Good. Good. Maybe not. But God can use you. We're waiting for them. They're, they're so, most of them are so worried about their markets and their portfolios that they don't have time to worry about kingdom stuff. So don't say that, Pastor. You'll offend a potential one. Hey, if they're, if they're about the kingdom, then they'll know exactly what I'm saying right now. Exactly. He says, you are in Christ Jesus who became for us wisdom from God and righteousness and sanctification and redemption. Click that as it is written, he who glories, let him glory in the Lord. Hallelujah. Now, I'll just say this and I'm done. I'm not suggesting that God is leaving us in this state. He doesn't leave Gideon in this state. But out of these qualities that nobody would have looked at, would have a difficult time looking through. God had the capacity to see past all the junk and see that past the junk, there was one man who could be a nation shaker. God loves to tap those people that no one else would give a second glance to. Tozier once said, Tozier is one of my favorite writers. It's one of my favorite quotations. He said this. He said, God is hiding his heroes. And the day will come when they will arise. And the world will wonder where they came from. I believe that. I believe that right now that God is forming a Gideon generation. He's he's picking men and he's picking women and he's picking churches and he's picking people that the world wouldn't give a second thought to as they drove by. But he's tapping them and he's hid them and he's kept them under a bushel for a season so that when the time is right, they will be the ones that will arise to stand before the Midianites and the Amalekites and the Hittites and the Jebusites. And folks, I believe we can be of that generation. And God does this. He works like this so the world will know that it is Him at work. Now, I know I'm probably going to say something controversial right here. So I know I rarely say anything controversial. Can I just... But this is an observation. Whether you like this person or not, I'm just making an observation. Who would have picked Sarah Palin? You may be a fan. You may be a detractor. All I have to say is, 
Who'd have thunk? Alaska. Wasilla. Assembly of God. Who'd have thunk? Now, you say, oh, no, 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 hey, whatever. I don't care. You Believe me, I am so beyond the political thing. I'm just simply saying, God can pluck people and who to thunk. I don't have time to get into all that. I may get into it next. One last thing. I, I just remember, I, I just, I'm just one personal point of privilege. Just give me one personal point of privilege. Just, and you can just, you can just excuse me as, as a parent. But, but I grew up in a house raising Clayton Baird. I know how that boy was raised. I know his challenges. I know what happened. I know the stories. I got the inside scoop. And now he called me and he tells me he's going here. He's going there. He's in Seattle. He's in Orange County. He's in Houston. He's here. He's there. And I'm just going. And I hang up the phone. You know, I'll always say, son, I'm proud of you. You know, that's great. And I'm, dad's proud of you. And I hang up the phone. And I'll be honest with you. The only thing that flashes in my mind is this. Who'd have thunk? Who'd have thunk? I'm just scanning. I'm I'm almost done. Listen to me. I'm just scanning. I'm looking at some of you right now. Listen to me. I'm prophesying right now. Who'd have thunk? Who'd have thunk? I know it's terrible grammar, isn't it? But you're getting revelation off it. No. No. No, nobody would have picked you. Be candid, nobody would have picked me either. And, and, and you know what? I'll just let you all in with something. No one's going to pick us. Nobody in the natural would ever pick us. We're too loud. We're too noisy. We do, we do everything about the opposite they tell you to do. To grow a church, to grow an army. And God knows if you had 32,000 show up for your army, we'd send you on the conference trail. But Gideon, as we will talk about in the weeks to come, looked at that 32,000 as he got before God. And he said, I can't win a battle with you. No, 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 no. We got, we got, we got to have those that you'd never give a thunk to. Those are the ones that'll be a Gideon generation. I don't want to be in the stands watching. I want to be on the field playing. I believe you do too. And we're going to find out some more in these next weeks what it's all about. Let's stand, shall we?